0: Hi, baseball fans, and welcome to Episode 2 of the Pastime Timeline Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Wilkinson, and today we'll be looking at the 1901 Major League Baseball season. In Episode 1, I gave you a big-picture overview of baseball history through the 19th century. From this point forward, we will go year by year and focus on a single season— the basic format of each podcast episode will include opening with a general synopsis of trends and storylines to put that particular season in context. I'll run through the major events and highlights of the offseason and regular season. We'll go through the final standings of the entire major league so you can track the historical progress of your favorite team. We'll run down the league leaders and award winners. And finally, we'll have a detailed look at that year's postseason and crown a baseball champion. This episode and the next one about 1902 won't include a postseason section, because those seasons didn't have any kind of postseason. There were simply American League and National League pennant winners until the World Series began in 1903. And because there were no official award winners yet at that point, we'll just highlight the top performers of that particular season, along with the leaders in each major category. So with all that now laid out, the journey along the pastime timeline continues with the year 1901. The 1901 Major League season represented the beginning of what's considered the modern era of professional baseball. It's also right in the middle of what's known as the deadball era, when base running, bunting, and average hitting were the way to play. It was called the inside game at that point in time. Power wouldn't come along until the 1920s. The major league structure of an eight-team National League and an eight-team American League would endure until the first expansion in 1961. Those 16 franchises at the turn of the century all remained east of the Mississippi River until the 1950s, when relocation transported the pro version of the national pastime to the Midwest and West Coast. But we have a long ways to go before then, so back to 1901. When the 20th century began, baseball stood as the undisputed king of American sports and the lone viable professional sport. College football was gaining steam in the Northeast and Midwest, but wouldn't become widely popular for many more years. In fact, baseball's biggest competitors in the first few decades of the 20th century were actually horse racing and golf. A major factor in baseball's extreme popularity that I failed to mention in the first episode about the 19th century Was the advent of the sports media. Newspapers and magazines such as the Sporting News began spreading word of the game in the mid to late 1800s. The leading media ambassadors were Henry Chadwick, a great fan of a man born in the UK, and Albert Goodwill Spaulding, whose Spaulding's record and baseball guide became a must for fans to devour each season. There was no talk radio yet to nitpick every manager's every decision, but there was no lack of written coverage to enjoy. The overarching storyline of the 1901 season was the successful uprising of Ban Johnson and his newly christened American League. Johnson and his fellow owners knew forcing their way in as a major league would only work if they could lure away some of the best players in the world. With the additions of Napoleon Lajewe and Cy Young, consider that a rousing success. Lajouet led the inaugural AL season in each Triple Crown category, even though there was no such honor at the time. Young continued to perform at a level commensurate with ultimately having his name on the award given to each league's top pitcher. He led the league in wins, earned run average, and strikeouts. Jumping leagues allowed star players to finally cash in on their market value, which was restricted by the institution of the reserve clause. The Reserve Clause allowed a franchise to hold on to each of their players in perpetuity for a season at a time. This standard placed no pressure on any owner to give a raise, even to their superstars. The Reserve Clause will remain a bone of contention and battled in courts until its ultimate elimination in the 1970s. Two-thirds of the American League players in their inaugural season of 1901 were plucked from National League rosters. These were players who were reserved by their teams, but hadn't yet signed an official contract for the 1901 campaign. After the NL dropped franchises in four cities in 1899, Johnson pounced by putting teams in three of those four, Baltimore, Cleveland, and Washington. He went head-to-head with the NL in Boston, Philadelphia, and Chicago. Eventual AL champion Chicago and runner-up Boston would do better at the turnstile than their NL counterparts, a bad sign for the Establishment League. But overall, the NL drew 1.9 million fans for the season, the AL 1.7 million. One major problem within the structure of the NL was that owners could have a stake in multiple teams. Many times those owners would use one of their teams as essentially a farm team for the other, while charging fans the same amount to watch either team. Johnson's careful screening of potential owners and backing of the authority of umpires on the field Granted his league credibility among fans who were turned off by the recent rowdiness of NL games The National League refused to acknowledge the AL as a major league until 1903 so safe to say the established league was a tad upset about losing such incredible talent overnight But much like the NFL finally had to make peace with the AFL after almost a decade of warfare, the National League would soon need to accept the AL, come to an agreement with them, or risk financial ruin. We'll get to that in another couple episodes. Here's the timeline of events for the 1901 season. January 4th, for agreeing to jump from the National League to the fledgling American League, John McGraw is given part ownership of the Baltimore AL franchise and appointed the team's player manager. January 26th, Burt Husting is the first pitcher to defect from the NL to the AL when he abandons Pittsburgh to sign with Milwaukee. For Husting, money isn't as important a factor as going home. His grandfather was the former mayor of Milwaukee, and Husting enjoys a lengthy law career in the city after retiring from baseball. January 28th, the American League formally organizes as a rival major league as franchises in Baltimore, Washington, Philadelphia, and Boston join Cleveland, Detroit, Milwaukee, and Chicago. The latter four had been part of the Wester League while a minor league. January 29th, the AL rejects a proposal to ban bunting. February 8th, news leaks that Napoleon Lajoie has jumped from the Philadelphia NL team to the new AL club in the same town, along with his teammates pitchers Chick Frazier and Bill Bernhard. February 27th, the NL introduces a rule that foul balls with fewer than two strikes on the batter are now strikes themselves. The AL wouldn't adopt that rule until 1903, making for a considerable difference in offensive output for the junior circuit. March 2nd, Jimmy Collins launches a mass exodus from the Boston NL Club to the new Boston AL Club when he agrees to be player-manager. March 11th, the Cincinnati Inquirer newspaper reports that Baltimore's John McGraw has signed a Cherokee Indian, but the deal is rescinded when it's found out the player is second baseman Charlie Grant, an African-American. March 28th, Philadelphia NL owner John I. Rogers files an injunction prohibiting Lajoie, Frazier, and Bernhardt from playing for any other team, instigating the most serious legal test of the Reserve Clause to date. April 24th, with rain across America wiping out the other scheduled AL contests, Chicago receives the honor of hosting the first AL game as a major league. Chicago defeats Cleveland 8-2. April 25th, in its AL opener, Detroit stages the greatest opening day rally in history, tallying 10 runs in the bottom of the ninth to defeat Milwaukee 14-13. Detroit would win in its final at bat in the next three games as well. Also on that day, Cleveland's Irv Beck hits the first home run in AL history off Chicago's John Skopek. April 26th, Connie Mack begins his record 50-year run as manager of the Philadelphia AL franchise by losing its first game 5-1 to Washington. May 1st, Detroit commits an AL record 12 errors in one game. May 9th, Cleveland's Earl Moore allows no hits against Chicago for nine innings, but loses the no-no and the game in the 10th. May 21st, New York National League owner Andrew Friedman orders umpire Billy Nash be removed from the park for incompetence. The players take over umpiring duties for the remainder of the game. May 22nd, Cincinnati pitcher Noodles Hahn strikes out 16 Boston batters, a modern record at the time. May 23rd, trying to protect a four-run lead with the bases loaded and nobody out, Chicago AL player manager Clark Griffith intentionally walks Lajue to force in a run, the first recorded instance of that ploy. It works as Chicago holds off Philadelphia 11-9. June 9th, New York National League squad records a record of 31 hits, six of them by one player, Kip Selbach. June 18th, the NL's Boston franchise reduces ticket prices from 50 cents to a quarter to match the price being offered by the city's more successful AL team. June 21st, Harley Parker of Cincinnati allows 21 runs in a single contest. July 15th, New York National League rookie pitching star Christy Mathewson throws a no-hitter in a 5-0 win over St. Louis. Mathewson would go on to his first 20-win season. August 10th, Washington pitcher Dale Gere surrenders an AL record 41 total bases in a 13-0 loss to Philadelphia. Lou Wiltsey has four extra base hits in that game, quite a feat in the so-called dead ball era. August 21st. To demonstrate that extreme misbehavior by players will not be tolerated in his new major league, AL President Ben Johnson announces he's expelled Chicago shortstop Frank Shugart punching an umpire during a game in Washington September 3rd returning from suspension after spitting in an umpires face Baltimore's Joe McGinnity is the first AL pitcher to throw complete games in both ends of a doubleheader beating Milwaukee 10-0 in the opener and losing 6-1 in the nightcap September 5th for the first time the minor leagues unite under a single banner at a meeting in Chicago forming the National Association of Professional Baseball Leagues. September 15th. Remember that Frank Shugart expulsion I just mentioned in August? Well, today the Chicago Tribune newspaper reports that extreme pressure from Chicago owner Charles Comiskey causes Johnson to reinstate Shugart. September 19th. All Major League games are canceled out of respect for the funeral of President William McKinley, who was assassinated five days earlier. September 27th, the eventual AL pennant-winning Chicago squad loses in Boston 3-2, giving it an 0-10 record at Boston. For the only time in the 20th century, a pennant-winning team posted a winless record in another team's park. Boston finishes second four games back. October 20th, seven St. Louis National League players, including star Jesse Burkett, and half its starting pitching staff jumped to the rival St. Louis AL team. November 2nd, Sporting News correspondent Harry Merrill advocates for a rule change first promoted in the 1880s to have a designated hitter bat in place of the pitcher. December 3rd, the AL approves the move of the Milwaukee franchise to St. Louis. And December 14th, searching for a strong leader to combat the American League's aggressiveness, Four National League owners oust President Nick Young and appoint Albert Goodwill Spalding. However, a court will overturn Spalding's election, forcing the league to appoint an interim committee to assist Young. So there's a look at the major events from the 1901 season. Now let's go through the final standings for the year. To avoid confusion, I'm going to avoid using the nicknames at the time. Those tended to change quite a bit early in the 20th century. I'll wait till they settle into the names we know now, which would be around the 1920s when we get there. So first, the final American League standings for 1901: first place Chicago, 83 wins, 53 losses; second place Boston, 79 and 57, four games back; third place Detroit, 74 and 61, eight and a half games out; fourth place Philadelphia, 74 and 62, nine games back. Fifth place, Baltimore, 68 and 65, 13 and a half behind. Sixth place, Washington, 61 and 72, 20 and a half games back. Seventh place, Cleveland, 54 and 82, 29 games out. And finally, bringing up the rear, eighth place, Milwaukee, 48 and 89, 35 and a half games off the pace. Now here's the final National League standings. First place in champion Pittsburgh, 90 wins, 49 losses. Second place, Philadelphia, 83 and 57, 7.5 games back. Third place, Brooklyn, 79 and 57, 9.5 games out. Fourth place, St. Louis, 76 and 64, 14.5 back. Fifth place, Boston, 69 and 69, 20.5 off the pace. 6th place Chicago 53 and 86 37 games out 7th place New York 52 and 85 also 37 games behind and 38 games out 8th place Cincinnati 52 and 87 Now let's highlight the league leaders in each major category first in the American League batting champion Napoleon Lajoie of Philadelphia 422 this is an era when a lot of guys would hit 400. Of course, we know Ted Williams in 1941 is the last to do it. Home runs, Lajouet also first place with 14. This is a retroactive stat. They had to go back later and appoint these home runs because it wasn't kept officially at that point in time. Runs batted in, also Lajouet, 125. So he would win the Triple Crown if that was a, a thing back then. Stolen base champion from Chicago, Frank Isbell with 52. So, yes, White Sox fans, you guys have always been the go-go Sox. Base running has been a huge part of how you win. And in the pitching categories, I'll just save some time and tell you it's all Cy Young in first. From Boston, 33 wins, 1.62 earned run average, 158 strikeouts. Over in the National League, Batting champion Jesse Burkett of St. Louis in his final year in the NL after moving over to the AL, he hit 382 to lead the league. Another emerging star, Sam Crawford of Cincinnati led the league with 16 home runs, and one of the great players of all time having one of his first great seasons, Honus Wagner of Pittsburgh wins the RBI title with 126 and also leads the league in stolen bases with 49. Pitching categories had a wide variety of champions. Wins, Bill Donovan of Brooklyn, 25 to lead the league. Earned run average, Jesse Tannehill of Pittsburgh, 2.18 in first place. And in strikeouts, one of the greatest baseball names of all time, left-handed pitcher Noodles Hahn of Cincinnati, 239 Ks. He was blowing them away in 1901. A little more about the National League. We don't have as much info about the American League other than Chicago being the champion. But National League champion Pittsburgh dominated for much of the campaign. They claimed first place for good in mid-June and ended up seven and a half games ahead of second place Philadelphia. 1900 champion and would have been the favorite, I think, Brooklyn, was ravaged by AL teams and finished third. Wagner took his place as the circuit superstar and wouldn't relinquish that title anytime soon thereafter. He dominated the 1900s. He hit 353 this season and, as I mentioned, led the league with 126 RBI and 49 stolen bases, this all while playing several positions in the field. He hadn't quite settled in yet at shortstop. Pittsburgh's pitching staff was led by a pair of 20-game winners, Deacon Philippe and Jack Chesbro. And, as I mentioned, Jesse Tannehill led an ERA at 2.18. Ed Delahanty's 357 average and 108 RBI led second-place Philadelphia, which had that huge hole in the lineup by Lajue's departure. On the mound, Red Donahue and Al Orth each won 20 games for Philadelphia. And as I mentioned, not as much information in terms of stats for the American League, but we know that Chicago held off Boston, and uh, Boston's pitching staff apparently fell apart late in the season, even with the incomparable Cy Young on it. The rest of the guys didn't get it done, and Chicago was able to pull away. From Boston at the end and win by four. So the White Sox are the pennant winners the first year of the American League. So that's a rundown of the 1901 Major League Baseball season here on the Pastime Timeline podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Michael Wilkinson and have a great day.